0: Would you pray with me as we go to the Word of God? Father in heaven, we come humbly to your Word today. We ask that you would open it to us and change us through it. God, please help us to be people who hear and remember and obey, not people who hear and walk away and forget what we look like. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a while back, like about, oh, I don't know, 1,500 years ago, there was this emperor named Justinian. Anybody ever heard of Justinian? Sweet. All right. So Justinian was the emperor of what we now call the Byzantine Empire, so the eastern half of the Roman Empire. And he was a Christian, and almost everybody in the empire were Christians at this point. And Justinian, there were a whole bunch of different laws all over the empire. I, I know about this because we've been listening to some homeschool Uh, CDs about the history of the world, which is pretty cool. So uh, there are all these different laws all over the empire, and he wanted to bring them together. So he's famous for this code of laws called the Code of Justinian. And as we were listening in the car one day to this code of laws, one of these laws just cracked me up. Okay, nobody else in the car was laughing, so when you hear it, you might not laugh. I have maybe a weird sense of humor. Uh, But I was just cracking up over this one particular law that he has. So Justinian is a Christian, And everybody in his empire are Christians, and he had a very high view of the Word of God. And he thought that it was very important that people would hear the Word of God. And so this is a law that Justinian passed. He says this. He says, when a pastor is speaking in a church, he must speak loud enough and clearly enough for everyone to hear him. If he does not, Justinian says, God will punish him and so will the emperor. So Justinian had a very high view of God. If you ever cannot hear me, God's going to punish me. So you better come and let me know so I can speak up or they can turn me up a little bit. All right. I want to start off by reminding us some stuff we talked about two weeks ago. Two weeks ago it was... Easter? Remember Easter Sunday? Great. So the fundamental reality of the universe, the fundamental truth about life, the most important thing for you to know, because it results in all other knowledge, is this. That Jesus Christ was dead, but he came back to life. And he came back to life in a way where he will never die again. So that's extremely important, because if it's true, it means that everything else he said is true. It means that his message is true, that God is really light and there's no darkness in him. God is perfectly good and he is in control of everything and that means you're entirely safe. The only thing that can destroy you, that can really ultimately harm you in this world is yourself if you turn away from God or turn to other things. This is the fundamental truth about the world. Now after the service on Easter Sunday somebody, I don't even remember who it was, maybe you can tell me after today, somebody came up to me and they said a few words to me. And you know how sometimes someone says something to you and it kind of is like a seed that's planted in you and it grows. And uh, this sermon came out of that seed. And the seed was this, that this person said, thank you for a very practical message. Thank you for a very practical message. And as that word grew in me over a few days and then a week, I realized that to me, the message was not nearly practical enough. What's our biggest problem, church? Our biggest problem is this, that we hear the word of God and then we don't do anything with it. That's our biggest problem. How many times have you heard a sermon and thought it was great? Or maybe didn't think it was great, but either way didn't do anything as a result? The Bible is very clear. It's not sermons that save us. It's not our actions either. But as we become, we have to do things to become more like Christ, to do our part to enter into the life that he has made available to us through his death and his resurrection from the dead. And so today I'm going to get really, really practical. This will be a topical sermon today. And the sermon essentially will be me trying to convince you that Bible memorization is extremely important for your life. That's what the whole message will be today. And it has a goal, and the goal is that you will walk out of here and immediately implement a program of Bible memorization in your life. That's the goal. We'll see if I succeed. If I do, it will only be by the grace of God. All right, so let's dive in. I want to open with a story, and this is a story about a guy named Brother Yun. And how many of you have read this book called The Heavenly Man? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand. I know two, okay, two of you. All right, good job, guys. I'll tell you a story from this book. Uh, Brother Yun was a Christian. Actually, he started off not as a Christian. He was growing up in rural China, and this was during the 1970s. And in rural China, actually most of China in the 1970s, Christianity was at a very low level. It had been persecuted strongly by the communist government. And there were no Bibles. Those, uh, all the missionaries had been kicked out after World War II in the 1950s. There were no Bibles. Uh, most people who had been Christians had just kind of fallen away or were acting like they weren't Christians anymore. And Brother Yun, his mother, had been a Christian in her youth. But she had abandoned that. And the story is that his dad got cancer and was going to die. And the family was very upset, of course, and they went to all kinds of doctors, everyone that they could find, every way that they could could think of to try and heal him or help him, and nothing worked. And finally, the mom said, You know, I used to worship this God, Jesus. Maybe we should pray to Jesus and see what happens. So they pray to Jesus, and the dad is miraculously healed his cancer goes away. Praise God, right? He's miraculously healed. And so the mom says, great, that's great. Jesus really is the true God. Well, we don't know anything about him. Well, Brother Yun, who is the son, he wants to know about this God now. This God has miraculously healed his dad of cancer when nobody else could. He wants to know, well, if this is the true God, how does he want us to live? What does he want us to do? But there's no Bibles anywhere. He's heard about the Bible, but nobody has one because you go to jail if you have a Bible. So an older guy who used to be a pastor but had abandoned that and his Christianity tells Brother Yan, he says, why don't you pray if you want a Bible? If this God's real, just ask him. So Brother Yan says, sure, I'll pray. And so he prays and fasts off and on for a 100 days. And on the 100th day, someone delivers a Bible to his door. Someone delivers a Bible to his door after he fasts and prays for a hundred days. So he's got this Bible. He knows that he could go to jail for it. He knows that it could be taken away from him. So he grabs this Bible and he just starts devouring it. He knows that the Gospel of Matthew is really important because it's about Jesus, right? So he takes the Gospel of Matthew and he memorizes the whole Gospel of Matthew in the span of about, I don't know, a few weeks or three months. He memorizes the entire Gospel of Matthew so that when the others come, when the government comes and they take away his Bible, they can't take away the Word of God from his heart. Now, this radically transforms his life. He does it at first just because he wants to know about this God. He's dying to know about this God that he hasn't heard of before. But once he does this and he takes this in so deeply, this radically transforms his life. And the whole rest of the book is a story of what God does in him and through him because, in large part because, he has taken this word of God deeply, deeply into who he is. Let's jump into the Bible itself. Deuteronomy 8, I want to start out with some words that famously Jesus quoted. You remember, of course, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil And he was tempted to turn, he had fasted for 40 days, and he's tempted to turn a stone into a loaf of bread. And what does he say to the devil? We'll get back to that temptation a little bit later. But what does he say to the devil in that instance? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But check out the context for that verse. If we go to Deuteronomy 8, let me read just the first half of that sentence. God is saying, or I guess Moses is saying to the Israelites about God, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The context is important because... We see here that Moses is comparing, and God, through Moses, is comparing the Word of God, the Bible, the Old Testament in this case, and the New Testament for us, very strongly with food, physical food. You will die without food, right? If you go for more than about 40 days, unless God does a miracle on your behalf, you will no longer exist. You will die. What happens if you go without the Word of God? You will die. That's what the Bible is saying. Not your physical body, but your spirit. Your connection with God, who is the source of all life, will be severed and you will die. You cannot live without the Word of God. This is simply a statement of fact. Not just telling you what you should do, but telling you the way that reality actually is. You cannot live without the Word of God. Not the true sense of life. The sense of life that the Bible is talking about. Let's skip over now to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to be all over in a number of passages today. And I want to begin now, as we go through Colossians chapter 3 and Deuteronomy 6, I want to begin to try to convince you... Of one thing in this section of the sermon that it is actually commanded that you would memorize the Bible it is a command of Scripture that you would memorize the Bible not just memorize it but actually go far beyond memorization I think sometimes this command gets swallowed up and spiritualized because the Bible is actually telling us to go far beyond simply memorizing it but we take that and take it out of context and then say, well, we don't need to memorize it just as long as we sort of know the Bible a little bit and read it regularly and study it. But the Bible is actually telling us that we must memorize the word and in fact go far beyond it if we are to become like Christ, if we are to grow in our faith and become who we were made to be. Here's Colossians chapter 3. You know that I have been very deeply in Colossians recently. And this is a verse that kind of brought this message to me and to my mind. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The very literal sense of the Greek here is to let the Word of God, which primarily comes to us in the Bible, let that Word actually live in you. That is, take up residence in you. That is, make its home in you. Can you do that if you don't have it memorized? If you don't have it in your mind all the time, is it living in you? And I suggest to you that the answer is no. And in fact, we know that the Bible was not a very common thing to possess physically in the ancient world, was it? Everybody wasn't running around with the Bible in their pocket or even in their car or at their home. Nobody had their smartphone app that they could pull up the Bible on. And so if you wanted to be able to speak the Bible to other people consistently, throughout the day, regularly, what would you have to do with it in order to do that? Memorize it. There's no other way you could have done it. So the passage is assuming that you have the Bible memorized, large portions of it perhaps, or at least very important parts, and then is encouraging you to use that consistently in your daily life with other people, other Christians, to speak that to them. It's then telling you to be singing psalms, which are, of course, part of the Bible, right? Singing psalms. You can't sing it if you don't have it memorized. Let's move forward, because there's an even stronger passage. I'm only going to use two passages to try and convince you that the Bible commands Scripture memorization. And the second one is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this is by far the strongest place in all of Scripture. Now, what is Deuteronomy chapter 6? First of all, it is what Jesus says is the greatest commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 contain what Jesus says sums up the entire Old Testament. If you wanted to bring all of Scripture, everything that God has ever revealed to the world, and sum it up in one sentence or two, here's how you would do it. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is the only true God. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. This is an extremely important commandment. That you are to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Now the question arises, how do you do it? Do I just flip a switch and I just tell myself, okay, love God, or I just try to think really mushy warm feelings about God? Is that how I love him? No. And the Bible goes right on to tell you how you will do it. And the Bible goes right on to tell you how you would do it immediately following that in verse six. In the NIV in a lot of translations, more literally, what it says is you will have the word, the commandments of God upon your heart. You must have these commandments of God upon your heart. What does it mean to have something upon your heart? What do we say in English if we if we know something by heart? What does that mean? It means we've got it memorized, doesn't it? And look up here, we've got the contemporary English version actually goes right out and says what this verse would be if we put it into common English. It would be this, memorize his laws. Memorize his laws. It was very clear, I submit to you, to the Israelites that they were to memorize this word. There is no other way they could have consistently had the word of God on their hearts. But the passage is also telling us to go beyond memorization. To have something upon your heart is to take it in deeply, deeply and consistently until it becomes what your will, your desires are set on. If you take something in consistently and deeply enough, it will change what you actually want. And that is what the Bible means when it says you must love the Lord. Your desire, what you want, the thing that is the best and the greatest to you would be God himself. And the or a primary way to achieve that result with the help of the Holy Spirit is to memorize the word of God. Of course, the passage goes on to say that you need to tell these commands to your children over and over again. Talk about them all the time, whether you're at home, walking along the road, going to bed at night, getting up in the morning. Write down copies of these laws and tie them to your wrists and foreheads to help you obey them. Write these laws on the door frames of your home and on your town gates. Again, if you're an Israelite, how exactly would you talk about the commands of God while you're walking along the road? if you don't have them, committed to memory? How would you talk about them when you're going to bed at night, getting up in the morning? I want to move now a little bit into why you would want to memorize the Bible. See, it is a command in Scripture, and it is assumed many, many places in Scripture. But God is not mean. He doesn't give you commands just for no good reason. He's not telling you to memorize the Bible. You may say, oh, that would be very difficult to memorize the Bible. He's not telling that to you just because he wants to give you some homework, like he's your grade six teacher and he thinks you don't have enough to do. No, he's telling you that because it's going to transform your life into something better than you could imagine if you do it. Let's see what kind of power is in the memorization, the deep internalization of the Word of God. Let's go now to Joshua chapter 1. And you know, in the book of Joshua, God has given Joshua a very difficult task to accomplish. First, he's given him uh, the position of Moses. He's going to oversee and rule this huge people of Israel, millions of people that have been out in the desert. He's going to be the one who's in control over them. He's got to govern them. And then not only that, not only like Moses does he have to govern them, he has to lead them into battle. He has to go cross the Jordan River... He's got to trust God enough to uh, part the Jordan River, just like uh, Moses parted the Red Sea. And then he's got to trust God enough to go up against these huge cities with thousands and thousands of strong warriors, walled cities. And over and over again, he's got to trust God as he does that. You might imagine Joshua could be very afraid of this task. I would be very afraid of this task. But God gives him a command, in actually at the end of Deuteronomy, a bunch of times he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and then again in the first chapter of Joshua, starting at verse 7, God says to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. So Joshua's task is to not worry about anything that happens in his life, but just to fix himself firmly on God and on the commands of God. He must do exactly what God says to do and not turn in any direction. And if he does, he will win. And this is exactly the same position that you and I are in, by the way. But how is he going to do it? And it says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Meditate on the scripture day and night. Have it constantly on your lips and in your mind. How would you meditate on the scripture day and night if you don't have it memorized? But even further than that, how would you meditate on the scripture all night? What does this mean? Was Joshua supposed to not sleep? This is actually a command in a number of places in Scripture, uh, in Psalm 1, in Psalm 119, that you're supposed to meditate on the Scripture day and night. Are you supposed to wake up in the middle of the night? How many of you do that? Wake up in the middle of the night. I'm not going to raise my hand. I do that. And spend some time meditating on Scripture. Maybe some of you do. But I submit that there is another way to meditate on Scripture even while you're asleep. I had this job in high school. It was a great job. There was this house that was built in the 1800s and we were restoring it and there was this huge wall, huge wooden wall and it was covered in about seven layers of lead paint. And my job was heat gun in one hand, scraper in the other hand. And I had to scrape that whole wall. It took me three weeks, eight hours a day of just the same thing over and over. I did the whole wall. After I would do that all day long, I'd go home and I'd start falling asleep, and guess what popped into my mind as I was falling asleep? Guess what I dreamed about? Every single night, I would dream about scraping paint off of a wall. How could you meditate on Scripture day and night? If you have taken in Scripture constantly, if it's what is before your mind throughout your day, every day, if you have taken it in so deeply, deeply enough, it will pop up when you're falling asleep, when you're waking up in the morning. It will pop up even in your dreams. This, I think, is an important part of what it means to meditate on the scripture day and night. And the result of this will be a flourishing life the result of having your mind on the word of God constantly will be a flourishing life. The result for Joshua was that he would no longer be afraid. He would be able to stand in front of the enemy army, a force that looked like it was impossible to defeat, and say, no problem, I'm not afraid. God said, do it, let's just do it. Don't you want to be like that? In the church, we are bound by many different things. We sing that song that, the, the, that God is able to, Jesus is able to break every chain. But there are many chains binding us in this church today. All of us have our different chains, things that we are held down by. I recently uh, met a, a fantastic guy by the name of Dan, who works through uh, West Point Grey Baptist Church, actually. And what this guy Dan does is he runs sort of uh, recovery programs, well, not recovery, uh, accountability programs for men who struggle with pornography. This is a big thing in the church. Many, many men, because of the internet, even Christian men struggle with pornography, pornography addiction. And this guy was coming to me to talk to me about that and tell me what they do in their groups. And he told me this long story of how they had, he had been in a whole bunch of different groups that had tried to break the power of this addiction over different men that had been with them and how they had failed over and over again. He told me this story of God, how God had put him on a 16-year-long journey and shown him through a number of different ways and signs what things he should be doing in order for this actually to work, to enable the Holy Spirit to really break the power of pornography addiction in these men's lives. By the way, if that is a problem for any of you today, uh, and you're brave enough, come talk to me at some point, and I can introduce you to these groups, because they are at the point now where the chains are actually being broken, where people are actually recovering from this and not doing it anymore. And he says to me, I said, so how do you do it? What's the secret? And he says, you know, I'm almost afraid to tell you, because every time I tell a pastor what we do, they kind of look at me like I'm silly, or like I'm a little kid, or like I'm goofy. And I said, just tell me. I'm not going to laugh at you. What do you do? And he said, well, the only thing that we found that actually works is memorizing the Bible. They have a couple of other things that they do as well. They said the only thing that actually works is when these men have the Bible constantly in their minds. They're memorizing the scripture. And then their minds are turned toward God and they're able to overcome this thing that's bound them for so long. And he's afraid to tell pastors that. He's embarrassed because nobody's doing it. He said he's gone to churches all over the city. and I don't know. I don't want to judge any church. But all over the city. And he says that he can't find any churches that actually do scripture memorization for adults. We know that it's a good thing to do. And so we send our children to do it in the Iwana program. And that's fantastic. But what about us? Are we so far beyond them? Are we so much more godly and holy than them? We don't need it anymore? We are not. Maybe we need it even more than our children do. There are a couple of uh, things I want to say in closing. Uh, Scripture memorization can be done wrongly. It can be done as if you were following a law. And so I do want to emphasize that the title of the message this morning is Beyond Memorization. Because simply to commit the scripture to memory, although it will do you some good, if you do it as if you were studying for a test, or just so that you can spit it back out, or just so that you can say you did it or impress other people, that will actually do you no good. But you must memorize it, take it in deeply, and then use that. Take it in deeply so that it becomes part of you and then live it out because it's in your mind, it's what you're thinking on, it's what you fixed yourself upon. And uh, this book that I've got up here on the screen, uh, this book has actually helped me quite a bit. I would recommend it. There are a number of good books on scripture memorization if you want to put this into practice in your life. And I just say, please, please, please do it. Put it into practice in your life. Don't walk away if you've heard God speak today and then give up or not do what he said for you to do. God is better than anything we can possibly imagine There is no no joy that compares with him, and this will bring you to him. This book has got a lot of great information on uh, ways that you could set up a scripture memorization program, lots of practical tips, and you can do it. That's the last thing that I want to say. You know the whole English language. Every one of you knows thousands and thousands of words in the English language because You focused on it. You committed your mind to it consistently over time. It doesn't happen immediately to memorize scripture. And there are people who are better at it naturally and people who it's more difficult for, but every one of you can do it. It's a question of obedience, my friends. Will we obey God? Will we do what he's told us to do for our own good? I'm going to finish up this morning by reciting some scripture for you. And I'm not reciting scripture to say, woohoo, look at me, I memorized some scripture, I'm so good. I'm reciting scripture for two reasons. One, because we are to be saying the, the word of God to each other. That is extremely important. When someone else speaks the word of God to you, it has power. The Holy Spirit puts power into it. And second, because I want to inspire you, if I can, to actually go and do this. So I'm going to recite for you two passages, and I would invite you to just close your eyes or look up at the ceiling or allow the words to come into you. I'm going to recite for you Psalm 1 in the NIV version, and then I'm going to recite for you uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17 from the contemporary English version. And hear this not as my word, because it's not my word. It is the word of God. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Colossians chapter 3. You have been raised to life with Christ. Now set your heart on what is in heaven, where Christ rules at God's right side. Think about what is up there, not about what is here on earth. You died, which means that your life is hidden with Christ who sits beside God. Christ gives meaning to your life. And when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Don't be controlled by your body. Kill every desire for the wrong kind of sex. Don't be immoral or indecent or have evil thoughts. Don't be greedy, which is the same as worshiping idols. God is angry with people who disobey him by doing such things, and this is exactly what you did when you lived among people who behaved in this way. But now, you must stop doing such things. You must quit being angry and hateful and evil. You must no longer say insulting or cruel things about others, and stop lying to each other. You have given up your old way of life with its habits. Each of you is now a new person. You are becoming more and more like your creator and you will understand him better. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a Jew or if you're circumcised or not. You may even be a barbarian or a Scythian and you may be a slave or a free person. Yet Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. God loves you and has chosen you as his own special people. So be gentle, kind, humble, meek, and patient. Put up with each other and forgive anyone who does you wrong just as Christ has forgiven you. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together. Each one of you is part of the body of Christ, and you were chosen to live together in peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts and be grateful. Let the message about Christ completely fill your lives while you use all your wisdom to teach and instruct each other with thankful hearts Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. Whatever you say or do must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as you give thanks to God the Father because of Him. Amen.